Yeah? All right. Father in heaven, thank you once again, Lord, for giving us the, the wonderful privilege and honor and blessing of being able to get together and come together and to uh, seek you through worship and the word. And we thank you for the wonderful time of worship, Lord, and thank you for filling our hearts. And Father, I pray and trust that our hearts are ready to receive the very seed of your word. And Father, I pray that you bless our time together. I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 16 through 33 is today's text. We're going to finish the chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. We're now on part 15 of our series, From the Heart. Everyone say that, from, from the heart. Now, as always, before I even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from verses 1 through 15 of chapter 11. And you might remember I gave you four points in the text there of chapter 11, the first 15 verses there. And the first one was Paul's jealousy. Say that. And that was in verse 2, and his jealousy over the church. But it's a godly jealousy. Godly jealousy is passion about the ultimate good, say good, of the other person. And what it does, it focuses on their honor and character. What it does, it desires to safeguard whatever it is it's protecting. In this case, it's love and devotion. Say love. Come on, say devotion. And you see what Paul does, Paul compares himself to a father who is jealously protecting, in other words, safeguarding his children from danger. So his jealousy is not only a godly jealousy, but also a goal-oriented jealousy. And he says, I promise you, I betrothed you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. In other words, Paul is saying, you're engaged, but not married yet. The wedding is still upcoming. Until then, I have every desire to present you to Christ as a pure virgin. And he was their shepherd, right? Their shepherd, their spiritual father, and therefore he felt the responsibility to help keep the Corinthian believers stay faithful to Christ, to to remain pure, unblemished, and wholeheartedly committed to their husband, who is Jesus Christ. And it was his passion, Paul's passion, and his desire to safeguard, listen now, the love, there it is, the love and devotion that the Corinthian believers had for Christ. But now that love and that devotion is beginning to be stolen by these false teachers, right? These false apostles, these Judaizers, these people who are legalists. And Paul's like, they're drawing your attention, they're drawing your focus away from Christ and on to them. The second point was Paul's concern. Say that. And then that's in verses 3 through four, his concern regarding the church. And he's concerned, remember this? He's concerned that Satan will deceive the Corinthian believers as he once deceived Eve. That the Corinthian believers are ready to believe anything they hear, that they are gullible. And Paul's like, you guys are putting up with, you're tolerating with these false apostles, these false teachers, these uh, Judaizers, and you're putting up with a different Jesus. They're They are, and you are, putting up with a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And then the third point was Paul's service. Say that. That, That's in verses 5 through 12, and his service to the church. And Paul says, but I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. Verse 6, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. Say knowledge. 
And we have made it this we have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. So Paul's like, don't be taken in by their looks or by their charisma. Perhaps they look better than me, preach more eloquent than me, and have more impressive credentials than me. But I have knowledge, Paul says. Yeah, I might be untrained, he says, but guess what? I have knowledge. I know what I'm talking about. They don't. And Paul had spent quite a bit of time with them. Patiently, uh, he patiently taught them about Jesus. He written letters uh, to them about the theological issues, and he showed that he had knowledge from God. Not only that, but he's like, you know, when I was with you guys serving you and ministering to you guys, I didn't have any money. I didn't tell you guys to pick up a love offering for me because technically he's saying you guys should have been supporting me, but I never asked you for that support. And we know that the church is right, in Macedonia, supported Paul. And Paul's point is this. These false apostles, these Judaizers, were only in it for the money, just to fill their pockets with money. And the fourth point was Paul's warning. Say that. And that's in verses 13 through 15, and his warning to the church. And he's saying they're not really apostles at all, guys. They're not. And he exposes them for who they really are. And Paul's like, they're imitators. In fact, they emulate the one they serve, and that's Satan. Himself. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message today is Our Identification. Everyone say that. Two points from the text, if you already say yes. Point number one is Paul's credentials. Write that down, say that. Paul's credentials, and we're going to look at verse 16. And Paul writes, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little Boasting. So what Paul does, notice what he does. He, he picks up the point he made back in verse 1. So look at verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 11. He says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, right? But you are already doing that. And you see, Paul has been forced to boast, been forced to defend his apostleship, to speak the truth. He has been forced to identify himself as a true apostle and to give his credentials because these apostles and these Judaizers attempted to destroy his credibility, right? And what they did, they infiltrated the Corinthian church and they told them that Paul was a fake, that Paul was a fraud, that Paul was a liar. And sadly, some of the Corinthian believers believed them. And so Paul's like, okay, I'll play your little game. I'll play your little game. You want to talk about boasting? We'll talk about boasting. What Paul is essentially saying is, you know, I'll beat you at your own game. You want to do this? We'll do this, okay? And he's using a method of argument. He's using a method of debate. Now, I want to say this. He, Paul, is not, he's not going to be boasting about things that made him appear impressive or glorious or about his triumphs and blessings, but about the things that made him seem weak. You got that? About his afflictions, about his trials, about his, his sufferings. And we'll see that later on in the text, and we'll see that in the next chapter next Sunday. And you see, that's where Paul wants to take this argument. And he's using this method to bring them, speaking of the Corinthian believers, to the right conclusions. Now, of all people, the Corinthian believers should have acknowledged Paul's ministry, Right? I mean, he had faithfully taught them. He had faithfully ministered to them. He had faithfully nurtured their faith. In fact, I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. 
1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result, speaking of the Corinthian church, the Corinthian believers, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. And this is what he says. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Got it? He proves his apostleship in the Lord to these people. They should know this, right? So the fact that some of the Corinthian believers were questioning and not acknowledging Paul's ministry, the fact, friends, that they were misjudging him, what he does, what Paul does, is he asks them to receive him as he boasts. In other words, friends, listen now, Paul's like, you guys put up with the foolish boasting of these false teachers, so put up with mine. Huh? Now, Paul doesn't want to do this, but he's forced to do it. He doesn't want to do it, but he's forced to do it, not, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the, the truth, say the truth. And what he must do, he must reaffirm to these people who have doubted his, credi- his credentials or his credibility that he is, in fact, God's spokesman, that he is a true apostle who presents the true gospel, say true gospel. And so what Paul's like, if you reject my ministry, then you're rejecting the genuine gospel. And to reject the genuine gospel is to reject the genuine Savior, Jesus Christ. Verses 17 and 18, if you're still with me, say amen. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Verse 18, since many, say many, Speaking of the false apostles and Judaizers and these legalists who had a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, since many of them are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. Now, we know that Paul, again, we know this. Paul doesn't like boasting. He doesn't want to do it. Okay, so he doesn't like boasting in the first place because it's foolish, right? It's foolish he says that. Well, he doesn't like it in the second place because he has no example from Jesus to follow. Are you guys with me? You see, all Jesus ever did when he was falsely accused was take it in silence, right? We know that about Jesus. And what it does, it bothers Paul that he has to boast. And it's not like, you know, it's not the example of Jesus that he's following. And this is what bothers Paul. This is what crushes him. And his point is, I really... I really don't desire to boast. I don't want to do this, but I find that I must. But it's not for self-glory like these false apostles and these Judaizers. It's not for self-glory, but to counter the false doctrine threatening the church. Because Paul is a true shepherd. Amen? Verse 19, here Paul, he's using sanctified sarcasm. Sarcasm, he says, you, speaking of the Corinthian believers, Gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. Okay? And so he's sarcastically suggesting that they were wise, but their so-called wisdom meant that they put up with fools. And then Paul tells them how foolish and tolerant they are. And so follow me, look at verse 20. He says, in fact, you even put up with, in other words, tolerate anyone who enslaves you. (coughs) Did you get that? Who enslaves you. And Paul's talking about the bondage of false doctrine, the bondage, listen now, of legalism. Legalism. 
that was contrary to the gospel of grace. They were having, listen, they, they were having, or they were having their freedom in Christ stolen from them. Paul's like, you guys tolerate these false apostles. You tolerate these Judaizers bringing you into bondage. Now, I want you to write this down. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. Write that down. Galatians 2, verse 4. And Paul writes this. Some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us, listen to what he says, and to make us slaves. You see, false doctrine promises freedom, but always produces spiritual bondage. Got it? Then he says, or exploits you. The King James says, devours you. In other words, to strip you of your goods. And what it literally means is this, friends. It literally says to make merchandise of you. You got that? Make demands for financial support. Then he says, or takes advantage of you. And the image is that of a bird caught in a trap or a fish caught on a hook. And what Paul is simply saying is they trapped, they baited, they caught you. They're taking advantage of you. They're going to take away your money. They're going to take away your possessions. They're using you and making fools out of you. And we see this today, don't we? Just turn on the TV and click onto some Christian channels, right? We see this today. We see false teachers taking advantage of people, taking advantage of them financially, psychologically, materially, even sexually. Listen, a minister, say a minister, is supposed to be a servant, not a master. Do I have a witness? A minister should serve you, not take advantage of you. Right? Then he says, or pushes himself forward, could also mean exalts himself. And that's always a sure mark of someone who's building their own kingdom rather than God's kingdom, right? He or she is exalting themselves instead of Jesus. And Paul's like, they desire the attention rather than redirecting it to Jesus. They love to be exalted. They love to be honored. They love to be treated as great leaders. And what they were doing, they were lording over the church. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, we are, and I want you to hear my heart here, we are to esteem and respect pastors and leaders. Yes, we are to esteem and respect our pastors and leaders, but never, never exalt or worship them. Are you guys with me? And sadly, I see too many people in churches worshiping their pastor. He's to be esteemed and respected, but not worshipped. Are you guys with me? Then he says, or slaps you in the face. This, is prob this probably refers to verbal attacks rather than physical violence. And so they were, ex they exercise, what he's saying, they exercise abusive authority. You get that? I want to say this. Those of us in leadership position are not in a place to be dictators or to use our leadership position to use and abuse others. Are you guys with me? And as I said before, I, you know, I, I just see a lot of pastors, not a lot, some pastors, who abuse their authority. And pastors, and pastors have authority. We know that pastors are given authority, but they are to exercise 
exercise, excuse me, that authority, okay, balanced with affection, which is loving leadership. Are you guys with me? And Paul's like, you guys are tolerating with this kind of leadership? Really? You're putting up with this kind of leadership? And then look at verse 21a. Some, and here you have some more sarcasm. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. In other words, what he's saying is, if refusing to use such high-handed leadership was weakness, then I plead guilty to weakness. And you see, Paul is going to compare himself to these false apostles to show the Corinthian believers what a mistake they were making in listening to these rip-off artists. If you're still with me, say amen. And what he does, listen, follow me here. What he does, he begins by saying that he had a, a comparable ethnic background. So follow me, verses 21b and verse 22. He says, what anyone else does, dares to boast about I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Then he says this. Listen to what he says. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. And Paul is addressing one of the boasts that these false apostles and these Judaizers made. And you see, they believed these Judaizers and these false apostles, they believed because they were Jews because they were Jews, that they had special favor with God. That they were in a special class. And, and they, they were pretty much saying to the Corinthian believers, hey, you're, you're Gentiles, but we're Jews. I mean, we're, we're Jews, okay? We're the ones to whom the law was given. We're the ones to whom the promises were made. So just listen to us, because we're Jews. You're not. We're Jews. We're special. We have special favor. We, we're, we're in a special class. Now, I want you to listen to what Paul says, and I want you to write this down, Galatians, <coughs> excuse me, Galatians 3, 28. Galatians 3, 28. Paul writes, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are what? Say it. One in Christ Jesus. All are one in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? If you got it, say got it. Notice, neither Jew nor Gentile was superior in Christ. Paul's stating that there in Galatians 3.28. And you see, what Paul is saying is that when we come to Jesus in salvation, all the other barriers that mean something in the world fall away. They dissipate. Are you guys with me? Whether they are barriers of ethnicity, a Jew or Gentile, or a class, slave or free, or rich or poor, or gender, male or or female. And by the way, I want to say this. When Paul says, nor is there male and female, he's not saying there is no gender. There is gender. The Bible's very clear. Male and female. XY and XX. Are you guys with me? So he's not saying there is no gender. What he's saying is that those things don't matter as far as receiving favor from God. Because in those days, women were considered second-class citizens. Are you guys with me? Follow me. Jews have no more favor with God than Gentiles do. Invite, right? That's ethnicity. Rich people have no more favor with God than poor people. And vice versa. That's class. And men have no more favor with God than do women. And vice versa. Right? That's gender. Are you guys with me? So here's a lesson 
And the lesson is this. Jesus is a great equalizer. Yeah? Jesus is a great equalizer, which tells me what that does. That removes all boasting. <laughs> right? You see, these false apostles, these Judaizers, were boasting in their ethnicity. Oh, yeah, we're, we're Jews, and we're in a special class, and, and we got favor from God. And Paul is saying, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, you're not a special class. It's all level ground at the cross in salvation. Can I get an amen? And Paul's point is this. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about class or gender. It's about identification. It's identification. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one, all one in, say in, key there, key there, in Christ Jesus. Identification is something that Paul wore as a badge of honor. That's what he did, which brings us right into the second point is Paul's sufferings. Say that. <coughs> Paul's sufferings. We'll look at verses 23 and 27 because Paul's taking this to identification. He wore, listen now, identification is something that Paul wore as a badge of honor. That's what he did. His sufferings, look at verses 23 through 27. Are they servants of Christ? And he says, I am out of my mind to talk like this. And he says this, I am more. Are they servants of Christ? I am more, Paul says. Now I want to stop there because, and I want to kind of just, because Paul's like this, are they servants, ministers of Christ? And Paul's like, well, let's compare their claims to my own works. And let me remind you of my trials. Not my triumphs, but my trials. Not my triumphs, but my trials. Not my successes, but my sufferings and my weakness. And you see, there was one important difference here. They boasted about worldly things, these Judaizers and false apostles. Paul boasted about his sufferings. Say, so got it. About how he identified with Christ in suffering. Now, the list that follows is what Paul uses to describe what being a servant of Christ is really all about. The true marks of a servant of Christ. So let's read on. Let's read on. I have worked much harder. Did you get that? Been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24. Listen to what he says. Five times, say five times. I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now I want to stop there because I want to camp out here for a while here. 40 lashes meant judgment. 39 meant mercy. Got it? 40 lashes meant judgment, 39 meant mercy. The Jews used 39 lashes. The Romans had no limit. They had no limits. Now, if you do the math, five times, Paul says, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. If you do the math, Paul was scourged 195 times. Got it? A regular scourging, and once scourging was what? 39 times. He was scourged, listen now, 195 times. Now, now some of the people didn't survive 39 lashes. 
because they bled to death or they died of infection. But Paul survived 190, 195 scourging. Can you believe that? So can you imagine what Paul's back looked like? Can you imagine? Or the back of his legs, which they would also whip the back of his legs because the skin is tender in the back and the bottom in the back of the legs. Paul survived 195 lashes. Just picture how his back and the back of his legs looked. And what, I, what, I, what I'm driving at here is that I picture Paul, him opening up his robe and showing the Corinthian believers his battle wounds. Scar by scar by scar. Right? We all have battle wounds, right? We, have all, we all have scars somewhere. And he's just showing them his battle wounds scar by scar. You see, Paul actually, if you don't know this, maybe you're, well, you're going to know now, Paul actually had a name for his scars. Galatians, write this down. 6.17, Galatians 6.17. And this is what Paul says. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Oh, did you get that? For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul called his scars the marks of Jesus. So this begs the question, right? Why did he refer to his scars as the marks of Jesus? Well, interesting, I did some studying here. Interesting, okay, interesting that the word marks, the marks, the word marks in Greek literally refers to a brand. Like you would brand an animal. Listen now, to show ownership. Say ownership. And what Paul's literally saying here is, I bear in my body the brand of Jesus Christ, which shows his ownership of my life. Man. You see, Paul wore those scars as a, as a badge of honor. And he was honored to be able to suffer for Christ because to him, it served to demonstrate Jesus' lordship in his life. He lived for Christ, not for himself. Paul was all about, it's all about Jesus. And Paul is simply saying, as a believer, as believers, what really, really matters, what really matters in the kingdom of God is devotion to Jesus Christ. It's all about lordship. Can I get an amen, please? That being said, question, is Jesus Lord of your life? Not just Savior of your life. I get it. He's Savior. I get that. But is he Lord of your life? Are you living in a way, listen now, that proves, say proves, that he is Lord of your life? Do you bear, listen now, do you bear on your life, if you will, do you bear on your life the marks of Jesus, huh? Huh? Because his Lordship in our lives is our identification. This is what identifies us. It's what? It's Christ. We are in Christ. Not our vocation, not our ethnicity, not our gender, not our class, not our accomplishments, not our education, not our degrees, not the, the sports attire that we wear, friends. No, it's Christ and his lordship in our lives. And guess what? If our identity is in him, and it should be, if we call ourselves Christians, the world is not going to like you. So don't be surprised. Are you guys with me? 
Because that's part of our identification with Jesus. We are called to suffer for him. Do you want to live a godly life? Well, I'm not convinced. Do you want to live a godly life for Jesus, right? Yes? Well, guess what? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Write that down. This is what Paul says. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might, but will. Right? They didn't like Jesus. What makes you think they're going to like you? Let's read on, verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. And this was a Jewish form of execution. And this occurred in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, in the city of Lystra. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city. You might know the story, thinking he was dead. Then he writes, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. Paul was always on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, other Jews, Paul's own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Verse 27. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And sometimes we think we have it bad. And Paul went, listen, Paul went anywhere and he went everywhere and he endured anything, say anything, that he might. He did that so that he might take the gospel to lost souls. Verses 28 and 29, if you're still with me, say amen. Besides everything else, listen to what he says. Besides all that, everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern. Say concern for all the churches. I love that. I love that. Notice, notice. I'm going to stop there. Notice. On top of all these concerns, Paul's greatest concern is for who? The churches. Churches. Here's the heart of a true shepherd. And I want you to notice his empathy with other believers. Let's read verse 29. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. In other words, Paul saying this, when others were weak, then he was also weak. When they fell into sin, then he inwardly burned. He was concerned, right? He wept with those who wept and rejoiced with those who rejoiced. And both of Paul's letters to the Corinthians demonstrate the concern he felt for all the churches to whom he ministered to. And what he did, he bore the sorrows and he bore the troubles of his people on his heart. He had a deep concern for the church. He was constantly, say constantly, concerned about the spiritual well-being of the Christians. That was his heart, right? He's concerned about them. And he dealt with the sorrows. He dealt with the joys. Why? Because Paul is a shepherd. He was a pastor. He loved the church. And I've been your pastor here at Cry Out for almost 30 years. We'll celebrate 30 years this September. And it's been a long journey, but an exciting journey. But I got to tell you, anyone who wants to be a pastor, well, God bless you because it's not easy. 
And in the 30, almost 30 years that I've been your pastor, I have experienced many, many joys, but also many sorrows. And obviously the joys outweigh the sorrows, but it's not easy. But I have a heart for you. I want to say that I have a heart for you, for the church. My, my concern is for your spiritual well-being, that you guys are on the right track spiritually, that you are getting fed the Word of God so that you will not be led astray by anything else. So I can, I can kind of understand Paul's heart saying, you know what, I'm concerned about you guys. When people in the church here fall away, I, I hurt. I hurt. When they're troubled, I hurt with you. Are you guys with me? But when you rejoice, I rejoice with you as well. Now, what I love about Paul is the fact that it wasn't about what he could get from the church. But rather, listen now, what he could give. Paul planted he, these churches. He was part of these churches. He was a pastor, shepherd of these churches. But he was there to give, not to get. To give. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Be a contributor, not a consumer. Be a contributor, not a consumer. So what, what is it for you, hon? I want you to think about it. What is it for you? Do you ask, what can I get from the church or what can I give? And I love Paul's example. Paul was always giving, giving himself to the ministry, giving himself to the Lord because he cared and he loved the body of Christ. Let me ask you this, okay? Are, are, are you saying, you know, I'm going to come and see what I can get here at Crowd, or rather, I'm going to come and see what I can give. How can I serve? How can I give my life away and be a part of this wonderful body of Christ here and, and, and be a giver? Not a consumer. And, and sadly, in, in, in America, the church mentality is, is, is about consumerism. What can I get? Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I'm going to read that again. Someone ought to say amen to that. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So while these false apostles and these Judaizers boast of their strengths, Paul instead boasts of his what? Weaknesses, right? And what I believe Paul, I believe Paul here is what he's doing. He's leading up, he's leading up to a thorn in his flesh in the next chapter. And I cannot wait for next Sunday to exposit verses 1 through 10 of chapter 12. So are you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Boasting in our weakness displays our dependence on Jesus. I love that. Boasting in our weakness displays our dependence on Jesus. When we boast about our weakness, because we all, we're all weak, friends. We all have some weaknesses in our lives, right? Am I the only one? Huh? And the, the beauty of this is that when you, listen now, when you boast in your weakness, what you're saying is, I, I have to depend on Jesus. I can't make it on my own. I, I can't do this on my own. I'm weak here. I need Jesus to help me out. Amen? So as we boast, boast in our weaknesses, not our successes, but our weaknesses, because that displays our dependence on Jesus. I, I need Jesus. I don't know about you. I need Jesus every day of my life because we're all weak. 
verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised, what? Forever. Just, just once in a while. Say it, forever. That's Paul's mindset. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever. I love that about him. His focus is about Christ being praised forever. Knows that I am not lying. So he's saying he's to be praised forever. And guess what? All the things that I've said are true. He knows. He knows that I am not lying. He swore that God knew that he was not lying. That he wasn't exaggerating or twisting the truth. Everything that he said about his sufferings were true. You guys with me? Now what Paul does, stay with me here now, is he climaxes this narration of his sufferings, listen, by telling of his humiliating experience at Damascus when he barely escaped with his life, if you know the story, as he was smuggled out of the city in a basket, okay? In a basket that over the wall. So follow me, verses 32 and 33. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And this account, if you want to know about this account, we covered this in our series in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Acts 9, 23 through 25. Let me ask you this. Who's going to boast about being lowered in a basket? Yeah, you know what, man? I was lowered in a basket. I mean, who's going to really boast about that? Well, Paul did. He did. And you see, he refuses to boast about the number of people that were saved under his ministry. He refuses to boast about the number of churches he started that he planted. Instead, he boasts of a humiliating experience running away from the king's persecution by escaping in a basket. In a basket. And you see, I believe Paul included this story to make the point that there's no room for prideful self-confidence in the servant of God. Do you get that? There is no room for prideful self-confidence in our lives. Are you with me? And Paul's saying, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast the fact that, guess what? I was lowered in the basket. No one could take pride in that. And I love that about him. And we're going to talk more next week, next Sunday, about Paul's weakness. And if you, if you can, read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 12 and just read it and read it and read it and read it. And we're going to expose it and break it down for you next Sunday, okay? So in light of what we have learned in today's text, I do hope that Paul's example has been a challenge to you as it is, as it has been a challenge to me. I want to leave you with this. If you're saved, say amen. Your identity, my identity, is in Christ. Right? 
He's the owner of our lives. And my question is, are you and I living that way in a way that displays his ownership in our daily lives? Let's all stand. Father, we, we thank you for your word and